us. Hey, I just got word earlier this afternoon about a buddy of mine who is a youth pastor in Arkansas, and he had to cancel his youth gatherings because of COVID-19. And so that is like literally close to home, if you know what I mean. And so we really, 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 really need to do our part to make sure we stay apart and we mask up because we want to continue to meet together like this. The last thing that I would want is to send out a message on Instagram that says, hey, exit 15 is canceled due to COVID. You guys don't want that either, do you? No. And so uh, really need to do our part, right, to stay apart is what we've been saying. Uh, you can be physically disconnected, be, be socially connected, physically distant. Um, so that's kind of my phrase. But hey, if you have your talk sheet there, our topic tonight is family. We are on week seven of this Straight Talk series, and it's been really, really good. We've had some incredible conversations. And to be quite honest with you, there's probably some conversations that we're having along the way that we probably would not necessarily have otherwise. You know, you, you, you just kind of walk through these things. And this is one of those topics. I mean, we talk about family here at Exit 15. We did it last semester. Actually, last fall is when we talked about it the last time. But honestly, we were coming into this fall. We haven't talked about family in a while. And so we're coming into this topic. We're coming into this moment right here, right now, and realizing that maybe this is the season for us to talk about it. Maybe this is the moment that we were to talk about it. Last week, we talked about racism. Uh, and we really dive, dove into people and understanding that we're all infinitely valuable. And we need to communicate that to the people around us. Well, we're going to take the same kind of apologetic view as we look at the family and what the family is all about. So the big idea for tonight, here it is. The big idea is families are a part of God's plan for filling the earth with his image bearers. And our responsible for providing for the spiritual, physical, you need to write that down a little faster, uh, mental, social, and emotional needs of family members, okay? You're writing that down, I'm talking it out, but I want to pick it apart for you. The family, ordained by God, right, is a part of God's plan you're, you're supposed to be in a family, right? That is from the very beginning of time, Genesis 1. Here you go. Family is one of those institutions that God created from the very beginning and is a part of his plan. Fulfilling the earth with his image bearers. You and I are created in his image, Genesis 1. You see that? And how we are the image of God. Each one of us are created. We talked a little bit about that last week when we dive, dove into the people Subject. And so we're diving in a little bit more on that. And that, that the family is responsible for a couple of things. Responsible for the spiritual, physical, mental, social, and emotional needs of all the family members. So you are in a family on purpose. I'm going to boil that whole statement down into one little sentence. Are you ready for this? Here you go. The family is created by God for your good. The family is created by God for your good. Now, I know that the very second that I say that statement, some of you in this room, not all of you, but some of you are really wrestling with good? Really? Because I don't feel like my family is good. And some of you are in that spot of looking at your family and you're praising the Lord. 
You're like, Lord, thank you so much for godly parents. Thank you so much for my grandparents and those that love and care for my family. So I understand that as we sit in this moment, there are people on both sides of this issue. But ultimately, what God has done in creating the family ultimately is for your good. It is to grow you. It is to support you. It is to be your biggest fan. Who's the one that's yelling the loudest on the sidelines? It's your mama and your daddy. And maybe your grandparents if they're there, right? <laughs> yeah, go Steve, woohoo! Whoa, you're amazing! I remember when I was in San Antonio, Texas, I was in seventh grade, all right? Seventh grade. We were at a track meet and I'm running hurdles, okay? The high hurdles. That's what I was running. Seventh grader running high hurdles. I was not very good, all right? I didn't, there was no, there was no place. I got no ribbon, all right, for running the high hurdles. But it was one of those things that I was more a pole vaulter, but the coach was like, hey, I need somebody to run high hurdles. You do it, okay? So uh, I was running, and I'm in the starting blocks, right? And the crowd is just full. Like the whole stadium, there's like this huge crowd. And this is Texas, right? They have big old monster stadiums. And in the very top of the stadium is my dad. You know how I knew? Because he's the only voice I could hear, right? So I am down. It is pitch black. You know, it is silent, ready, set. Go, Steven! <laughs> he is yelling, you can do it! He's at the top of his lungs. Nobody else was cheering for me, but my daddy was, right? And so God has placed us with these people around us to support us, to love us, to encourage us, to be our biggest fans. And this is how God intended it. He also intended for the family to be a place, not only just for your good, but to grow you up spiritually. He created the family in such a way that moms and dads and grandparents would pass down the faith from one generation to the next. It is the gospel vehicle that God intended from the very beginning. That his children would come to know the Lord and it would happen in the path of the family. It would happen in the, in the family home. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is one of the most definitive passages about this idea of passing down from one to the next. Genesis, Deuteronomy 6, if you have your Bible, jump over there real quick. But I'm going to read it for us. It will be on the screen as well. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. Where have you heard that? There's a New Testament reference. Jesus mentions it in the greatest commandment. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what he's quoting in that moment? Deuteronomy 6. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Do you see that? These things, these commandments, these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. These commandments you're supposed to impress upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. That's pretty much all the time. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So in everything that you do and everything that you think, it needs to be a part of you. He says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
So I'm to take this commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. These commandments, these scriptures, this truth of the Lord to God is one. There's one God. I'm supposed to take this truth and I'm supposed to pass it down from generation to generation inside the family. That is the biblical framework for the family that all of us need to understand. And so many times we get into the emotionalness of our families that we lose the perspective of what God has intended from the beginning. We get so caught in the weeds that we don't see the big picture and we lose perspective. And you know what? There's somebody at work in your family. And it's not just you and it's not just your mom and dad. For God created the family from the very beginning of time. Guess who else was there at the beginning? The evil one. What did the evil one do in the garden? Oh, it, you, it's okay. You can eat the fruit. Go ahead. Take it. Oh, God said don't eat it. Really? What is that? Doubt? Deception? The evil one is seeking to destroy the family. He knows. The evil one knows it. He knows that that is one of the founding institutions of the gospel being passed down from one generation to the next. And don't you think that the evil one would go back to the beginning and say, I'm going I'm to start destroying that. I'm going to start taking that down. Because if I can take the family down, that means that the gospel is not going to go. That means the gospel will be talked about less and less and less and less. Do you see how important the family is to God? Do you see the importance of that in this moment? But also, do you see the reality that there is someone who is working, conniving, and deceiving you and your parents and your grandparents and anybody that will listen, that will say, hey, um, uh, your family ain't that good. Why, why even worry about it? And he's doing all of these things to destroy what God intended for good at the very beginning. I want to give you four basically family killers I want to give you four things that the evil one uses to destroy your family. And as I see these four, I've seen these played out in many families as I've been in student ministry for a long, long time. And I've had a lot of interactions with different family members and moms and dads and grandparents. And I've cried alongside many of them. And these are the four truths that I've seen all throughout. You ready? Here's the first one. Comparison. Comparison. C-O-M-P-A-R. I-S-O-N. Comparison. It's the phrase that simply says, why can't my family be like theirs? You sit and look at your family, maybe a friend, or maybe even someone in the youth group, and you look at their parents, you look at their family, and you compare yourself to them. And in that, guess what? The evil one wins. Another one that he uses is not just comparison. But he uses complaints. Complaints. It's phrases like, why is my family always fighting? And we complain about our family. We complain about our mom and dad. We complain about our grandparents. We complain about, ah, I don't get what I want. Ah. And he uses those complaints in your heart to deceive you and to distract you from the biblical purpose of what, Jesus, what God had created from the very beginning. We complain a lot. You know what number three is? Number three is silence. Silence. The very second that you and I, in our families, we are quiet, the evil one wins. 
It's a phrase like, what's the use of saying anything? My family won't change. Silence. Why should I even say something to my friends or to my peers or maybe even to a caring, loving adult that's in my life? Why should I even say anything about my family? Silence. And he will seek to silence you in order to destroy your family. And the last one, and probably one of the biggest ones, is sin. Sin. Your sin, my sin, and your parents' sin. There's a little scripture that says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Can I help you with something? I'm going to free you up right here. There are no perfect families. There are no perfect families. Let me just normalize it for everybody. You know, one, one of those reasons why is because of sin. You have a sinful nature uh, that we battle with all the time. Your parents, your siblings, they have a sinful nature. And guess what? They're battling with it too. And if that's true, if these four things are what Satan's using to destroy your family, don't you think you ought to start looking around for those four signals and then begin to start praying against it? Because the one that's going to fix it is going to be the Lord. God, your family is not too far gone. If you're sitting there thinking, Steve, there is no way. Do you know what my family's like? You have no idea. They're so far away from God. How in the world? I have seen amazing God moments in the lives of moms and dads and families. I've seen radical change happening in students' lives that ultimately changed the path and trajectory of their whole family. I have seen dads bow for the first time over their families and pray. God can change your family. Do you believe that? Or have you given up? Have you stopped caring? Have you gotten silent in your prayers? And if that's true, the evil one is winning. And we need to call him out and say, evil one, you, Satan, you have no place in my family. Satan, you have no place here. Because I'm standing under the blood of Christ and I'm declaring you gone in the lives of my family. Oh gosh, I'm looking at your faces and I see it. Some of you are really struggling. So here, I want to give you some advice. I'm going to give you some godly advice. All comes from scripture. You're like, oh yeah, sweet. All right, Steve, give me something good. All right. I'm going to give you two different types of advice, and I'm going to let you write down what you think is right, okay? I'm going to give you advice first. If you have a non-believing family, all right, we'll just stop there. If there's people in your, if you feel like you're, you're finding yourself being the only believer or the only one that has any hope, if you see your family is all lost, they don't know Christ, they don't know God, I'm going to give you some advice for a non-believing family if you find yourself in that. And then here in just a minute, after I deal with that, I'm going to give you advice for the believing family. I'm going to give you some godly advice for those that you, you okay, my mom and dad, everybody's good, everybody's saved, woohoo, all right. That's a good thing, right? I'm going to give you some godly advice for that too. So you write down, I gave you six points there, right? You write down whatever one you, you find yourself in. Here you go. Advice for the non-believing family. Number one, honor and respect your parents. Just start there. Honor 
and respect your parents. Exodus 20, 12 says this, honor your father and your mother so that the that your days will be prolonged in the land which is the Lord your God gives you. It's also Ephesians 6 that Morgan read just a few minutes ago. When you look at different passages of Scripture that deal with the family, dealing with parents, and even dealing with children, it always starts with the word honor. Honor and respect them, even if they're not believers. Number two, stay faithful to the Lord. You, in your relationship with the Lord, if you know the Lord and you're walking and even in the path of those that are not believing in your family, stay faithful to him. There's a couple of promises in Scripture for those that do stay faithful. Luke 16.10 says, The one who is faithful in the little things will be faithful in much. You know, it also says in Matthew 25.23, His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. For you have been faithful with the few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. You know, as we stay faithful to the Lord, our non-believing family will see it. They'll see your love and your loyalty to the Lord. Number three, seek help from the church for your discipleship. You may not be in a family that's going to disciple you. And so you need to stay connected to the church, stay connected in a life group, stay connected to a life group leader. Acts 2 tells us at the very beginning of the church, they stayed faithful and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So even them in the new, new believers in Acts 2, they were connecting themselves to a church and they were counting on the church to help them to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And for you, if you're finding yourself in a non-believing family, the church is there to partner with you and to come alongside you and to help you and to disciple you. That's why this ministry is so important. Here we go. Number what? Four, pray like crazy for your family. Pray like crazy. Ask the Lord God to change the hearts and lives of your family. Ask the Lord God to do a mighty work, a miracle in your family and never give up praying for them. James 5 says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Wow. Pray like crazy and don't stop. If you're praying like crazy, you're not going to stop, right? Because <laughs> you're focused. You're like, God, I need you. God, I need you to work. I need you to do something in my family. Pray like crazy for them. Number five, live a life that inspires your family toward godliness. 1 Timothy 4.12, some of you know this. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But rather in speech, in conduct, love, purity, show yourself to be an example to them. You're probably sitting there thinking, well, Steve, I'm a new Christian. I don't know much. I'm still learning. You're right. Connect yourself to the church. But there needs to be something different about you in your non-believing family and how you talk and how you conduct your lives. And you may be thinking, I'm too young for that. No, 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 no. Hear the word of the Lord that says you can do it. Go after it. Last one is to be patient. You gotta be patient with your family, especially in a non-believing family. You really gotta be patient in that. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait. For the Lord. Be patient 
with the work of God on your life, but also be patient with them. Whoever that is in your family that is lost and doesn't know the Lord, be patient with them. Six real quick principles on what does it look like for someone who is trying to help their family come to know the Lord. I'm going to be honest with you. Shelly and I, our stories are different. My story growing up as a family is I was the Christian kid in the Christian family connected to church. I was in church all the time. Shelly, when she was growing up, not so much. Shelly was the very first one in her family to come to faith in Christ. And she was the one that prayed like crazy. She was the one that led a godly example. And slowly but surely, every one of her family members have all come to know the Lord. Now, I'm not doing that to brag on her because, well, I should. She's amazing and my wife. But that's the reality of two different stories, okay? Two different stories of that. And so that advice that I just gave you for the non-believing family, oh, that is so true. And it is so real. And I hope you would write those things down. But now I want to give you my side of the story. For the believing family, if you're finding yourself where the majority of your family are believers, what godly advice can I give you? You ready for the first one? Here you go. It might sound a little bit simple or similar. One, honor and respect your, fam- your parents. Say what? <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. We are to honor our parents, whether they are believers or not. That is what God calls us to do, is to honor and respect them. Number two, this one's really hits home, I think. Don't get spiritually lazy. Don't get spiritually lazy. And it's very easy for those that are in believing families to just kind of rest back and go, I know I'm going to church. Like, I know my mom's going to tell me to go to church. I know my mom's going to, you know, I know my dad's going to, I know, and you get, you take disownership of your faith because you have been under the umbrella of your mom and dad's faith. If you're a high school student, here's what I firmly believe. It's time for you to take ownership of your own faith and for you to come to that place where you're no longer, yes, you are under the umbrella of your parents and praise the Lord for that. But at some point, it's got to be you. Some point, you need to take ownership of that. And so many times I see in Christian families, students that have always been in church get spiritually lazy. And now's the time for all of us to hear that truth and to go, uh, that can't be me. I can't get lazy. Number what, three? Pray like crazy for your family. Pray. James 5. The prayers of the righteous one are powerful and effective. You still ought to be praying for your mom and dad. You still ought to be praying for your brothers and sisters. You ought to be praying for your grandparents. Because guess what? They're probably praying for you. It might be a good idea to start praying for them. I bet you, if you're finding your, li- your family in conflict and you're a believer, I bet you if you would start praying for them, if you would start praying for your mom and dad, I bet you your heart would settle a whole lot quicker. I bet you your emotions would not be so ramped up about it because you would be seeking the Lord about it. And he would be giving you the peace in the direction that you would need. So if you're finding yourself like rocks in a bag right now with your family, why don't you start praying about it? And let the Lord soften you to where you're like grapes in a bag. 
all squishy. Just kidding, all right. Uh, number what, four? Live a life. Oh gosh, I need to be done. Live a life that inspires others in your family toward godliness. How are you encouraging your mom and dad and sisters and brothers and all grandparents? How are you in your faith encouraging them to live a godly life? Yes, you can do that. By your simple example is amazing. I have illustration after illustration I would love to share with you, but I'll, I'll wait. Number what, five, seek to sacrificially serve your family. How are you serving them? What are you doing around the house to sacrifice your time and your resources to help your family? It looks like chores. It looks like doing those things. It looks like honoring them. It looks like a lot of different things. It looks like picking up your underwear off the floor, right? Come on, boys, let's do that, right? That's just good all the way around, all right? Now, if you're a girl and you do that, that's weird. Okay, um, number six, last one, is be patient. Be patient. You need to be patient with your family just as much as anyone else needs to be patient. Because you are growing in your faith. Your mom and dad are growing in their faith. And we need to be patient with what God is doing in our family. Because God is at work. All it takes is for us to... Settle in, seek the Lord, stay faithful, and just see what God does. Because God is the one. He can change your family. Last thing, now what? What do I do now? We honor. We honor our family. Do you speak highly of your family when your family's not around? That's one key element to honoring. It's not that you would, in their face, honor them, but when their face is not there, you would honor them. That's a big deal. That speaks of your character, it speaks of your integrity, and it truly speaks of your heart, that your genuine desire is to honor them, that you will honor them not only when they're in front of you, but also when you're not. So how do you talk about your parents when they're not around? How do you talk about your brothers and your sisters when they're not around? That really matters that shows how much you really do honor them. And if you're finding yourself bad-mouthing your family all the time, can I encourage you? It's not helping. It's not helping you, and it's not helping your family by constantly bad-mouthing. The last thing I want to say, and we'll dismiss to groups, the last thing I want to encourage you, if you're finding yourself in your family like rocks in a bag, and you need help, I want to let you know that your life group leader and our student ministry team are here to help you. We do not want you to go through that alone. We all get it. We all understand how family sometimes is a big deal. And if you need somebody to pray with you, you need somebody to talk about your family in a healthy way, you need someone just to pray with you and to work with you, we are here for you. We do not want you to walk out of these doors still in conflict but we want you to walk out of these doors filled with peace and knowing that God is in control and he knows where you are and he knows your family and he's not absent. Let's pray together. I've gone too long. Father, we desperately need you in the next 30 minutes. As we talk, as we dialogue, as we pray together in groups, Lord, I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, that you would do a work 
Father, that you would reveal hurts, that you would reveal hopes. God, that you would cause our hearts to turn towards our family and not running from them. And so, Lord, would you do something amazing in our hearts tonight? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.